I have not seen any evidence that Smartmatic software was used to uh, delete, change, alter anything related to vote tabulation. Wow. And that was on Fox News. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Someone must have scared him. I got him. the feeling that something right. Can't imagine who. No. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Lawsuits will do that and to I'm you. And I'm how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Up in Rochester on WRFZ. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Out in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. We are heard in Seattle on KODX. Up in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for you on the Internet. on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Bird and Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, and Desi Doyen agrees, don't you? <laughs> About what? That I'm a swell fellow <laughs> Of from course I do. Com. Most okay. of the time, I totally agree with you. Oh, <laughs> most of the time. Hello, Desiree. Hey. There are 30 days 30 days, count them, 30 long days until Inauguration Day on January 20th. 16 days until Joe Biden's Electoral College, quote, landslide defeat of Donald Trump. And I'm quoting Donald Trump in calling that uh, 306 electoral votes a landslide, as Trump called his 304 electoral votes back in 2016 a landslide. In any event, 16 days until those results are affirmed or not by Congress. As we have been noting, that could be a very tricky day. We discussed on Friday's show, I believe it was, that if Democrats are not able to get their entire caucus there to be sworn in three days earlier on January 3, let's say because some of them may have covid uh, that's when they need to be there in order to renew the remote voting rules for the new session of Congress. If they are not there, if they can't get a majority on January 3rd, that could make January 6th a very difficult day uh, if and when. I should say more when, but uh, when the uh, Republicans begin to challenge the uh, various electoral counts in the various states, uh, they will have uh, Democrats will have a very, very thin majority in the new Congress, just four votes 
as of, uh, well, when they're sworn in on January 3rd, they will have even fewer uh, in their majority once three members leave to join the Biden administration, as currently announced. That would leave them with just a one-vote margin in the U.S. House, while those uh, three members are um, are moving to uh, the Biden administration and will have special elections to replace them. But on January 6th, to avoid a full-blown coup by Republicans, uh, all Democrats are going to need to be there on January 6th or be able to vote remotely, presuming they're able to pass that rule, presuming they have a majority there on January 3rd. There is uh, little or no room for error in some of this. So that's 16 days away. Keep your eyes on it. Uh, 15 days from now is the final day for Georgians to cast their votes in the state's two ongoing U.S. Senate runoff elections to determine control of the U.S. Senate for the next two years. Early voting is now underway in Georgia in those two critical U.S. Senate races. Uh, with Election Day on January 5. So, welcome to the broadcast. I want to get to my guest today very quickly uh, so we can pick up uh, some of this stuff a bit after that. But as Washington Post reported over the weekend, um, President Trump addressed the ongoing cyber hacks of the U.S. government for the very first time on Saturday, and he sought to turn blame away from Moscow in defiance of mounting evidence while downplaying how devastating the intrusions appear to be in what uh, The Washington Post calls a bizarre outburst on Twitter that Trump's critics condemned him for um, and condemned him for its alarming disconnect from the facts. The president contradicted his own top diplomat, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who on Friday had pinned the breaches that have afflicted at least five major federal agencies, quote, clearly on Russia. Nonetheless, the president basically suggested that the true culprit, quote, may be China. It may, he said. His aversion, of course, to calling out the Kremlin for its malign activities in cyberspace and his deference to Russian President Vladimir Putin has now become a hallmark of the Trump presidency. He has repeatedly trusted the word of Vladimir Putin over the assessments of his own intelligence community. And now, in this case, over his very own, very Trumpy Secretary of State, State Mike Pompeo, who, by the way, before becoming Secretary of State, was also Trump's CIA director. But Trump thinks Pompeo is wrong, not Russia. It may be China. Now, that was not the only bizarre conflict uh, amid the administration itself uh, to rear its head over the weekend as Trump's days in the White House begin to wane, along with his apparent grasp of reality at this point. It's getting kind of scary. You may have heard over the weekend that a highly contentious shouting match allegedly broke out in the West Wing during a meeting at the White House on Friday with Trump's disgraced former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn who was there. Trump just pardoned Flynn for lying to the FBI. And reportedly, he was calling for Trump to impose martial law in order to have the military come in and rerun the presidential election 
but only in swing states, apparently, that were lost by Donald Trump. At the very same meeting, reportedly, Team Trump attorney Sidney Powell was there also. And apparently she was uh, seeking to be named a special counsel to investigate fraud in the 2020 election. And then Rudy Giuliani, just to complete the uh, clown car, uh, apparently he disagreed with Powell. He instead wanted to have DHS seize voting machines from swing states for some reason. Now, of course, uh, they don't belong to the federal government. They belong to the states. Actually, in many cases, they are not even they don't even belong to the states. They are leased by the states or by the counties from the voting machine companies themselves. Uh, and there needs to be, you know, some sort of reason that the federal government would swoop in and take uh, private property, state property. All of those calls uh, reportedly were then shot down by Trump staffers, Trump aides, Trump aides who apparently we are now counting on to save the nation. Good luck to us. Good luck to all of us. That even as Trump reportedly seemed ready to go with any of those plans from the MAGA mob on uh, Friday to declare martial law, to rerun the election, to seize voting systems from states with no federal authority to do so, or to name Sidney Powell as a special counsel who would have all kinds of ability then, supposedly, to continue her pretend investigation for months or years during a Biden administration. Well, on Monday, Trump's outgoing attorney general, Bill Barr, who is stepping down as of Wednesday this week, also put down those ideas, no doubt, much to the consternation of Donald Trump. As Axios reports, uh, Attorney General Bill Barr told reporters that he sees no basis for the federal government to seize voting machines. He also sees no reason to name a special counsel to investigate the 20 uh, the 2020 election or uh, he added for good measure here uh, or to a special counsel to investigate Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son which uh, Trump has also been calling for. And Bill Barr said that he agrees with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's assessment that it was Russia who is behind the massive recent attack on federal agencies. Bill Barr has rarely contradicted Donald Trump so openly, but he has done so uh, Well, he did so at least at least three times in this press conference on Monday, believed to be his last press conference as attorney general. Here's Bill Barr when he was asked about whether DHS should uh, seize voting machines. I see no basis now for seizing machines by the federal government. You know, a wholesale seizure of machines by the federal government. Was he even awake there? Wake up. Wake up, Bill Barr. (laughs) Wake up. Uh, he he had uh, previously said, of course, and, and this is one of the big reasons that he has been pushed out, uh, that he saw no evidence of fraud in the 2020 election that would change the results of that election. So here was his response when he was asked if a special counsel should be named to look into the 2020 election, even though dozens of prosecutors that Bill Barr already assigned to look into that election and to look into fraud both before and after the election apparently uh, turned up nothing. The president has continued to, to make the case that there was fraud in the election. You've already made your statement on that in an interview. 
Um, do you believe there's enough evidence to warrant appointing a special counsel to look into it, which is something that he appears to be uh, to be thinking about, perhaps Sidney Powell? Do you believe that the, there is any reason to do that? Have you already uh, uh, given your opinion on this to the president and the White House? Um. You know, as, as you said, I, I've already commented on uh, fraud. Let me just say that, you know, there are fraud in, in, unfortunately, in most elections. I think we're too tolerant of it, and I'm sure there was fraud in this election. But I was commenting on uh, the extent to which we had looked at uh, suggestions or allegations of systemic or broad-based fraud that would affect the outcome of the election, and I already spoke to that, and I stand by that statement. But about the idea of appointing a special counsel, would you, would you answer a question about whether you believe there's enough there, even with your, what you've already said, do you believe there's enough evidence to warrant a special counsel to investigate that, perhaps Sidney Powell or someone else? Well, if I thought a special counsel at this stage was the right tool uh, and was appropriate, I, <clears throat> I, would do, I would name one, but I haven't, and I'm not going to. So there you go. Attorney General Bill Barr says he will not name a special counsel. Of course, Attorney General Bill Barr is leaving on Wednesday. He submitted his resignation, I think it was last week. I have lost all track of yes. time. Was yes. it last week? It was. Uh, so he won't be there anymore after Wednesday. Uh, whoever will be stepping up to replace him, I think his deputy at this point, uh, uh, I think a man by the name of Jay, uh, Jay Rosen, is yes. it? Um, he would, of course, be able to do that if he wanted to, I guess, if he thought it was warranted with at least 30 days left in the Trump presidency at this point. As Axios's Jonathan Swan reported over the weekend, White House officials have become increasingly alarmed about Trump's behavior after this uh, Oval Office meeting last week in which he discussed commandeering voting machines and appointing conspiracy-spewing lawyer Sidney Powell as a special counsel to inspect them. And apparently these, uh, these White House officials... They are very Trumpy White House officials. These are very, you know, these aren't uh, never Trumpers. These are people who have been supporting him, working with him uh, now for quite a while. Even they have now become alarmed at Donald Trump's behavior, reportedly. Now, last week on several of our broadcasts, I spoke to the fact that the voting machine company Smartmatic, which had literally zero to do with any of the elections in the swing states that Trump is now challenging, still challenging. Uh, he went once again to the Supreme Court over the weekend. I'll try to get to that in a bit. Uh, but the only contract that Smartmatic, the voting machine company, has in the U.S. happens to be right here in Los Angeles County, which, as far as I know, is not one of the states or one of the counties that uh, Team Trump and the MAGA mob are currently challenging. But Smartmatic last week threatened defamation lawsuits against right-wing propaganda outlets Fox News, Newsmax, and OAN, or One American News, for claiming that their software was somehow responsible for uh, flipping some votes from Donald Trump to Joe Biden during the election. Uh, and that threat was then followed up by another voting machine company, Dominion Voting Systems, which does have 
uh, voting systems in some of the states in question, uh, that they were also, uh, you know, claims made that they were also in on a massive conspiracy along with Smartmatic and communists in Venezuela, including the dead Hugo Chavez, and somehow Cuba and China were all involved in this worldwide conspiracy to steal the election from Donald Trump. Well, oddly enough, both of those threat letters, one from Smartmatic, one from Dominion, resulted in putting me into a strange position uh, last week on several of our of our programs and having to defend those companies, sort of. Uh, would you call it a defense? Uh, well, I would I, call it uh, ensuring yeah. that the accuracy and precision of the reporting is actually clear and factual, which it can sound like you're defending the voting machine companies, but really all it is is you're defending the facts. Well, I'm defending the facts and the fact that the the, the facts and the truth are nowhere near what has been reported by Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani when it comes to these companies and what they actually do and don't do. So, yeah, so I had to sort of defend these companies, oddly enough, uh, particularly because many of the claims being made about both of them appear to have been sourced back to some of my original reporting at Bradblog.com from about a decade ago. And as I've been pointing out, uh, Team Trump has got it completely wrong. Totally wrong. They've bastardized uh, what I reported, which was accurate then and is still accurate today. Well, anyway, we've got some new developments in those stories, those legal threats, which I hope to get to uh, a bit later today as well. And it's kind of amazing, uh, given the response that we have now seen from, well, from Fox News. And I will share that with you a little bit later on today's show. But first, uh, breaking today as we go to air uh, at long last, Republicans have finally agreed to allow for a much-needed emergency relief bill for the American people. After nine months of effort by Democrats that was pretty much all but ignored by Mitch McConnell and his Republican Senate to try to pass a new relief bill. Let me take a quick break here, and we will be back with David Dayan of the American Prospect to discuss what is and isn't now in this new $900 billion stimulus-slash-emergency relief bill, what it means for you, and what still needs to be done moving forward. That's next on the broadcast today. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yep. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. I know Democrats did not get what they wanted. 
Uh, did they get what they needed? We'll see. Congressional leaders on Sunday, as the New York Times reports, it reached a hard-fought agreement on a $900 billion stimulus package that would send immediate aid to Americans and businesses to help them cope with the economic devastation of the pandemic and fund the dis- distribution of vaccines. Well, that's a thought. Uh, did I say welcome back to the broadcast? I can't remember now. It's welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Anyway, uh, the deal would deliver the first significant infusion of federal dollars into the economy since April. Since April. As negotiators broke through months of partisan gridlock, the New York Times says that had scuttled earlier talks, leaving millions of Americans and businesses without federal help as the pandemic raged. To be clear, this so-called partisan gridlock, as the Times reports it, was largely due to unwillingness by Senate Republicans, specifically Senate Republican Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, to participate in negotiations at all over the bulk of those nine months. That left Democrats in the House to pass their own $3 trillion bill last spring, which McConnell refused to allow to come up for a vote in the upper chamber. He refused to negotiate at all on it, basically leaving the Democrats, led by Nancy Pelosi, uh, to negotiate directly with the White House for months to no success. While the new plan, the Times reports, is roughly half the size of the $2.2 trillion CARES Act, that's the stimulus law that was enacted in March, it is still one of the largest relief packages in modern history. The Times then goes on to quote Mitch McConnell as if this is something that he had given a damn about before, you know, during all of these months. He says, uh, we can finally report our nation has what our nation has needed to hear for a long time. More help is on the way, he said on Sunday night. Well, what he didn't say and what the Times did not call him out for not saying is that he had refused to do a damn thing to bring this help for a very long time uh, to the American people. As we discussed on last Thursday's broadcast with uh, Eric Bowler, the media have, as usual, been reporting that, you know, this is a both sides issue. It's partisan gridlock. It's a broken Congress that's responsible for the delay. It's not the fault of any one party. In any event, here we go. Finally, a second emergency relief package for the American people as infections and hospitalizations and deaths are now skyrocketing across the nation. Tens of millions of Americans are out of work with unemployment benefits running out or already having run out and an unknown number of Americans now facing the loss of their homes or their apartments in one of the darkest winters this nation has ever faced due to a White House still in denial and a Republican Congress which had little or no interest in providing much-needed relief to the American people for months on end. As the American Prospects' David Dayen described the, this uh, agreement uh, uh, over the weekend in his daily indispensable unsanitized newsletter, after a weekend full of impasses and breakthroughs, Today, a COVID relief bill will pass nearly nine months after the last one, nearly five months after the boosted unemployment from the last one expired, a little over eight months after the first people got government checks to deal with the economic pain. 
The final sticking point, he writes, on the extent of cancellation of lending programs by the Fed, that was handled over the weekend, though um, at, at that point, it did seem to be a major sticking point that reportedly threatened to derail the entire deal. The relief package, Dan notes, is paired with an omnibus spending bill that includes a fix on surprise medical billing, billing an emergency, I'm sorry, an energy bill, a water bill, a 25 years in the making fix that restores Medicaid for Marshall Island natives living in the U.S., nearly one and a half billion in border wall money for some reason, uh, and much more that has little or nothing to do with the pandemic. The bill will include $600 means-tested checks for adults and children, which could roll out as soon as next week, 11 weeks of extended unemployment programs for gig workers and freelancers, as well as extended benefits and a $300 a week increase for all unemployment insurance programs. Democrats, I believe, had fought for 16 weeks. They settled for 11 $25 billion in rental assistance, which I believe is a first. $20 billion for business in low-income communities. $14 billion to maintain mass transit systems. $13 billion for expanded nutrition assistance at a time when millions of Americans are now starving and lining up at food banks around the country, as they have been for months. $10 billion to sustain child care facilities, $7 billion for broadband assistance for mostly poor families. There's another $525 billion in the bill besides all of that, mostly for another round of the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP for small businesses, uh, with uh, bigger grants for restaurant businesses. There's another $15 billion uh, for uh, airline bailouts, $82 billion for schools. I'm sure that is well overdue. $69 billion for hospitals, vaccines, testing, and tracing. And a ridiculous meals deduction, says Dayan, to satisfy Donald Trump. Joining us now is David Dayan, who uh, has been tracking the progress on this second round of release, relief for months now in his daily unsanitized newsletter, which you should sign up for. Uh, for, for news on the virus that you will receive long before the rest of the media catches up with David. He is, of course, an investigative financial journalist and the executive editor of The American Prospect. And somehow, even in the middle of a pandemic, he managed to publish his second and amazingly well-timed new book, Monopolized, Life in the Age of Corporate Power. Welcome back to the broadcast, Mr. Dayan. Hello, sir. Good to have you here, my friend. Uh, listen, I, I want to get into some of the specifics on this um, on this bill, uh, what it does and doesn't decidedly does not have. But, David, Democrats and Republicans in the House and Senate seem to have had relatively little or no problem coming together recently on a seven hundred and thirty dollar uh, seven hundred and thirty billion dollar defense spending bill just days ago with enough votes in both houses to overcome a presidential veto you know, to fight wars overseas, which we may or may not have to fight, but defending against an active virus that is actually attacking the nation right now has killed more than 300,000 Americans, which is more than were killed in combat during all of World War II, uh, more dead in just the last month than all the years of Vietnam, more each and every single day of late than 9-11, 
that, for some reason, Republicans have absolutely no rush to do anything about. So two questions to start out, sir. If there was an invading army that had killed 300,000 Americans over the last nine months and devastated the economy along with it, would it have taken this long to get a bill to respond to that attack? And the second question, why are they even bothering to do it at all now at this point? Why? I think uh, I think you're leading the witness. Well, <laughs> I yeah, your own question. Um, yes, it's uh, uh, the lackadaisical nature of uh, congressional action on what is, uh, as you rightly point out, a historic tragedy, uh, the likes of which we we haven't seen in in, in a very very long time in America. Uh, is is confounding. Uh, it's obviously tied up with politics, and uh, you know who who is uh, going to be the president next year, and 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 how they wanted to approach that. Um, I think the 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 movement really came with the recognition that Mitch McConnell's Senate majority was on the line if he didn't get uh, something done. Uh, you know, Mitch mm-hmm. McConnell does not have a lot of guile. You know, he, he, he does not hide from you what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. And when he said on a GOP caucus call that the reason why he needs to stimulus checks and, and enhance unemployment was because Kelly and David are getting hammered, and and Kelly and David referred to Kelly Leffler Mm -hmm. and David Perdue down in Georgia. uh, That was what was driving this. Mm. Uh, If there was no bill, uh, uh, the Georgia races, at least in the eyes of McConnell, Mm -hmm. would be lost, and he would not have his nice office in the Senate majority. Um, You know, that begs the question of, well, why didn't they do it before the election to try to save Trump. Mm -hmm. And I think McConnell had a different understanding of that. He thought that the the virus was going to essentially end Donald Trump's career and probably the Senate majority as well. Uh, And so he he resisted, uh, you know, agreeing to even participate in the Pelosi White House negotiations before the election. Uh, then, to his surprise, the Senate does pretty well in the elections, mm-hmm. not quite well enough to cement it. Uh, and so he, uh, you know, thinks that, uh, well, maybe maybe what I did was okay. And then he's, you know, he wants to save uh, the ability to completely block Joe Biden from doing anything for the next two to four years. And uh, the best way to do that in his calculation is to keep the Senate. So is it is it I I think that's it. So it is. So it's fair to say, then, had he actually won the majority outright in the Senate on Election Day, he might Mitch McConnell may still be refusing to negotiate at all with Democrats. Is that fair to say? I, I absolutely agree with that. And think about how close it was. David Perdue needed to get 50% of the vote mm-hmm. plus one yep. in Georgia in order to advance uh, and, and, and not, you know, uh, uh, forswear the need for a, a runoff election. Mm-hmm. David Perdue got 49.7% in that election, <laughs> about 13,500 more votes, or yeah. maybe a little more. Yeah. Uh, and, 
and he would be the 51st Republican senator right now. And there would be and, no bill. And, and I don't think so. I don't <laughs> see how Mitch McConnell would have cared yep. if, uh, you know, he would have said, hey, there's a vaccine coming. We're getting back to normal and everything will be fine. Yeah. you And uh, I, I, well, you, you make you make a good point. Amazing. Yeah. No, it really amazing. It really is amazing um, that he I mean, it's amazing that he's gone this long. I find it amazing that I keep, you know, reading in, uh, you know, New York Times, uh, Washington Post, how, you know, it, this is all partisan gridlock. Now, you've been, you know, over the past several months, many months, uh, you've been, uh, you know, quite uh, critical of Nancy Pelosi and the way she played this. But at least she's been playing this. I mean, the Republicans have not even come to the table by and large until now. Uh, and so uh, it's maddening when I, mean, I see media not reporting it that way. Yeah. But let's say something, Brad. I mean, yep. that was baked in back in March. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Mitch McConnell, again, is, is not, not a, a, someone who hides his, his, mm-hmm. his uh, actions. He wanted corporate America to be bailed out yep. for any, from any consequences from the pandemic. And he got that yep. in March. He got a, a corporate uh, bailout program that, that essentially kept asset prices high. Mm-hmm. And enabled corporate America to stay afloat, and and then were buoyed by the fact that their small business competitors were were all dying off. So once he got that, the leverage was kind of gone right. for Democrats to really negotiate a second round of relief, which is why in that initial bill there should have been uh, some sort of ongoing support for the duration of the national emergency. When there wasn't. Democrats suddenly were in a terrible negotiating position. You mean when they, because they said uh, we we will have the unemployment benefits for X number of weeks, we will have one single uh, stimulus check of $1,200, that will be the end, instead of ensuring that this continued until some uh, landmark uh, made it clear that we have passed the worst of the, the, or that the economy has passed the worst due to the virus. Right. And so in my view, the, the, the wait of eight or nine months mm-hmm. was eminently predictable. Yep. Uh, you know, McConnell wasn't going to do anything before the election. And after the election, he was going to reassess where he was at and what he needed to do. And he has done that. Yep. And what he has given is another one-time check and uh, unemployment benefits that begin to slide in 11 weeks. That's all we got is 11 weeks of this uh, additional boosted unemployment and extension of these expiring programs that about 12 or 13 million people are on. By mid-March, this is going to start to go away again. Oh, I'm the same with the uh, the same with the PPP, which is uh, uh, you know this small business support. That's only for two and a half months of payroll. I'm sure every everything will be fine by then, David. Don't worry about it. This should be wrapping up by March. It's not going to be fine. It'll be fine. I mean, the the question is uh, how not enough this bill is entirely is predicated on how fast we can vaccinate people. Yep. I mean, if we can vaccinate everyone by April, then we're probably going (laughs) to get, you know, a rickety but but sufficient bridge. Mm Mm-hmm. If, as the Surgeon General Vivek Murphy, or the designate Surgeon General, the right. guy who's going to replace uh, Trump Surgeon General, mm-hmm. uh, said on Meet the Press on Sunday, if 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 we won't get widespread availability of the vaccine until early 
fall, right. which is what he said, yep. then we're in big, big trouble because there's no more must-pass bill. There's no, government funding is now funded through September of next year. Mm-hmm. There's uh, if, if, if McConnell manages to win at least one of those races in Georgia, he's going to be in control again. And Joe Biden will be president, and uh, every dollar that Mitch McConnell agrees to put into the economy is a dollar that helps the economy under Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. So what do you think he's going to do if this runs out in March and there's no end in sight to the pandemic until yep. sometime in the fall? Yeah. What and do you think he's going to do? No, exactly. And, you know, with these payments now, $600 cash payments. Well, kids, you better stretch that 600 bucks until next fall. Uh, by the time everyone is able to get access to a vaccine, $600 one-time cash payment. And yet I'm hearing again from uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, well, there's more to come. This is just a down payment. There seems to me to be absolutely no reason, no incentive for Mitch McConnell to do any, for Republicans and Mitch McConnell to do anything uh, under a Biden administration. Why would they pass any additional bill after uh, January 20? Well, which is why between now and January 5th, the only message that every Democrat in Congress and certainly every Democrat paying for the airwaves in Georgia should be vote for John Ossoff and Reverend Warnock for X amount of dollars that we're going to get into your pocket. Yeah. Uh, There's no bigger display of tangible benefit. Yep. Uh, off of a, a political campaign than this one. And uh, that's how it needs to be framed. That's all that uh, John Ossoff and Dave, and uh, uh, Raphael Warnock ought to be saying, elect us and we will do this. We will, you know, we, we'll start giving you 600 a month, 1200 a month. I think Canada gives you 2000 a month. Uh, by vote the way, for hazard pay, vote mm-hmm. for this, vote for that. Yeah. Uh, by the way, why, uh, David Dayen? Uh, so we had uh, Senators uh, Bernie Sanders and Josh Hawley, Republican from the far right. They were both calling for more money for these cash payments. Donald Trump. Well, uh, so Sanders and Hawley wanted to see twelve hundred dollar payments, as we saw last time. Donald Trump wanted to see two thousand uh, dollar payment with. Uh, you know, why wasn't the final number higher when you've got Republicans like Hawley and progressives like Sanders and even Trump calling for higher checks? Is this just uh, Mitch McConnell exercising his power to run Washington at this point? Well, what McConnell did is he set a sort of arbitrary number uh, of $900 billion over which uh, uh, Democrats could not uh, go in terms of relief. So, you know, the stim- the, the one-time payments weren't in there at all mm-hmm. originally in, in the bipartisan bill. Uh, so room was made for the one-time checks, but that came at the expense of five weeks of unemployment. Unemployment was initially uh, 16 weeks, yep. and it went back to 11. Mm. Uh, and so every time you put something into the bill, something else had to be taken out of the bill. Uh, you know, Chuck Schumer, for example, got $15 billion in what is called the Save Our Stages legislation, yeah. which is for independent music venues and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, but as, an, as a result, $15 billion had, had to come out elsewhere in the bill. 
Uh, and these trade-offs were made consistently throughout the bill. The biggest trade-off, of course, was that the thing McConnell had been pushing, which was this corporate liability release mm-hmm. for negligence over the coronavirus uh, infections of, of workers or, or customers, that was taken out. But in exchange, Democrats had to take out grants for state and local government relief. And so when we get into next year, uh, cities and states who have had these tremendous budget shortfalls yep. from the lack of sales tax revenue mm-hmm. from coronavirus and, and, and you know the lack of economic activity, uh, they are the ones who are now going to have to figure out how to fill that shortfall when they have no help from the federal government coming. And it's likely going to result in cuts to public safety, cuts to teachers and firefighters and public employees Mm -hmm. and uh, not filling your potholes and and just all sorts of things at the local level uh, that are going to have to be foregone because uh, there is no money available. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that could have the effect, and, and of course, Mr. Connell knows this, that could have the effect of, of offsetting any kind of recovery efforts at the federal level, right? Right. So you have federal largesse being, you know, this $900 billion, which is actually more than the, the, the 2009 stimulus being given to people. But it's offset by what could be 200 300 or $400 billion in cutbacks at the yeah. state and local level. Yeah, and, and, that, and we saw that in 2009. That stunted the overall recovery of the economy, and we're walking into it right again. Sure, because when you lay off uh, tens of thousands of of public employees, doctors, and, and we're talking also about doctors and nurses, uh, firemen, uh, sure. police, uh, Mitch McConnell, yes, is defunding the police uh, go figure. Um, all of those folks are out of work. They stop buying things. It's just a, a, a terrible negative feedback loop that we are going to see. And the fact that, incredibly, Republicans do not seem to care about that, even in the red states that are also going to run into these same problems. Is amazing, David Day, and I got just a, a minute or two here left. Let me see if I can run through very quickly here a couple of specific questions. Um, I know that uh, this um, uh, this round of emergency funding extends the PPP or the Paycheck Protection Program you mentioned. Is that a second round of the PPP, or is it just an extension uh, for those companies who were not able to use it the first time? Do you know yet? It's a second round, okay. and uh, there's actually money for a first round if you didn't get that, too. But uh, it's a second round for companies under certain circumstances, and it's essentially companies that can show losses in 2020 as a result of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would be able to then apply for a second draw. Uh, it's only for companies with 300 Employees are less. The previous uh, round was for companies with 500 employees or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as I said, it's uh, you have to show some losses there. But uh, that's that's the idea. And explain that. You said uh, overall there's not a lot to object to in this bill other than it is not enough. But you did say you objected to uh, something that I guess Republicans fought to get in here, the so-called uh, a double dip for the uh, tax breaks from that PPP program. Can you explain that real quick? It's a little complicated, but when businesses uh, uh, do their taxes, they deduct expenses like payroll mm-hmm. that they uh, you know, paid for their employees. Um, 
what this says is that if you paid your your individuals with money from the PPP, then you can deduct that as expenses, even though that grant from the PPP was already tax free. So progressive <laughs> groups call this a double dip, uh, and uh, and uh, what what business owners would say is that hey, it doesn't matter where the money's coming from. I paid my employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I should be able to deduct as I would deduct normally any kind of expenses. What what progressive tax groups say is that, well, no, that was a grant from the government. You were essentially just a pass-through. So why should you be able to also deduct that and take what could be a tremendous number, uh, maybe $100 billion, maybe $200 billion mm. in, uh, in, in, in assistance to, to, to businesses? Um, and particularly, this is true in you know, like businesses that are sole proprietorships that got, you know, like S corporations, rich people, essentially, that set up structures for businesses, uh, gave themselves two months of salary and now can deduct that from their taxes. So they got there there are real, real problems here uh, with this with this particular uh, uh, thing. And, And the funny thing is it wasn't scored by the CBO because CBO assumed that this would be deductible anyway, because they, like, assume that this giveaway would happen. So, wow. so there's it doesn't show up in the cost of the bill, even though it could be hundreds of billions of dollars. So the company's got free money that was tax free to pay their employees, and now they get to deduct that money from their taxes as well. Incredible. Last question here for you, and boy, I got a lot to ask you about that I didn't get to, but that's what January's for, I guess. Uh, this will, there, there will be, I think for the first time, as I understand it, assistance for renters, uh, not just help on mortgage mortgages for homeowners. Uh, do I understand that correctly? If so, that's a big deal, especially for places like New York City here in Los Angeles, uh, where there are a lot of uh, a lot of renters. This this is a landmark. Yeah, I mean, this is a good thing in the bill, and there are uh, several good things in this bill. It's not just six hundred dollars. There, there's a lot to say here. There's help for broadband. You can get fifty bucks off your your broadband service if you're a low income person. Uh, there's this twenty five billion in rental assistance. There's there's uh, some of the litany that you said at the top of the uh, segment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unclear how this will be distributed yet. Uh, I'm not very clear on that. This is a 5,600-page bill, so uh, I will confess to not having read every word of it, and nor has anyone who will be Slacker. voting on it tonight. Slacker. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, $25 billion in rental assistance is pretty good. There's also some, some uh, protections for people. Uh, in bankruptcy, they can they can uh, get the terms of their mortgage changed. Uh, there are some protections for people who uh, might otherwise get their utilities shut off. They didn't pay the the water bill. Um, so overall, I think that you know the paradoxical thing is the fact that we waited so long for this bill gave some Democrats in Congress the ability to write some language and just have it ready. Mm. So that when this bill dropped, they were able to insert a lot of provisions that are actually pretty good for people. Uh, and Republicans not caring that much about policy, they just looked at the top lines and sort of waved it through. So um, there is some 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 benefits here. And, and yeah. what it ultimately does is it takes the corporate bailout, that $450 billion that we gave to the Federal Reserve, it, it takes it back. I mean, this is rhetorical, but it takes it back, it slices it up, and it gives a bunch of it to people. So, uh, you know, an this, idea. This, this bill is 
is not enough, but it's certainly uh, something that is 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 uh, you know pretty welcomed right now, considering where we were going to be without it. I yeah. mean, we were going to have uh, 12 million people lose any form of unemployment. We were going to have an eviction moratorium expire. We were going to have uh, the food assistance, which is increased by uh, 15% in this bill mm. uh, uh, at record levels. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 I would certainly vote for this bill if I was in Congress, uh, that regardless is, of the fact that it's not enough. That is uh, unlike you, David Dan, to uh, feel good or optimistic about anything. So on that note... <laughs> Let me let me get out and point people to uh, prospect.org where you can and should sign up for David Dayan's newsletter, Unsanitized, where I suspect he will be breaking down what is and isn't in this bill, uh, the 5,000 pages that he will be plowing through in the days ahead. You can also find him, of course, on the Twitters at ddayan. And you can find The American Prospect on the Twitters at The Prospect. David Dan, always great. Oh, and uh, you can buy his uh, new book, Monopolized, Life in the Age of Corporate Power, makes a fantastic Christmas present. And I didn't even get to ask you about the new uh, Facebook uh, Monopoly lawsuit. But again, that's what January is for. Thanks, David. Always great speaking with you, my friend. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, brother. All right. Quick break. And we are back uh, with I hope I have time here. uh, This uh, defamation lawsuit, these threats from two different voting machine companies has resulted in a remarkable response from Fox News. I will share that response with you right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. That's bradblog.com slash donate And thanks. A long December, and there's reason to believe maybe this year will be better than the last. We will see. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Undeterred by dismissals and admonitions from judges, Donald Trump's campaign continued with its unprecedented efforts to overturn the results of the November 3 election on Sunday, saying that it had filed a new petition with the U.S. Supreme Court to uh, try to uh, overthrow the election in Pennsylvania to try and reverse those results there where Joe Biden won pretty handily. Uh, Once again, that suit does not allege fraud as Team Trump and the MAGA mob have been doing publicly and on Twitter, just not in their court cases. If time allows on tomorrow's broadcast, I'll try to get into some of the specifics of this newest desperate attempt by 
uh, Team Trump and what they are alleging. Suffice to say, for now, it's a desperate effort. It is likely to meet the same fates as the two previous cases that came before the stolen Supreme Court, which just refused to hear them. But last week on several broadcasts, I uh, I reported on the voting machine company Smartmatic uh, and this letter that they sent to the right wing propaganda outlets, Fox News, Newsmax, Uh, One America News threatening a defamation lawsuit if they did not retract their reporting, claiming that Smartmatic somehow, even though they have no contracts at all in any of the swing states, and in fact, they have only one contract in all of the U.S., a new one right here in Los Angeles to build the 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that we're all now forced to use here in Los Angeles at the polls. Um, Somehow, these media outlets were alleging that Smartmatic software was somehow used by their competitor, Dominion Voting Systems, to steal votes from Donald Trump and flip them to Joe Biden in order to steal the election. Uh, The charges that they're making about what Fox News has said and done Uh, And just how wrong they actually are is included in this letter uh, telling them to retain documents, telling them that if they don't retract their charges, uh, they may be facing a lawsuit. And they've got a very successful um, defamation lawyer, Smartmatic does, that has been hired Uh, to send these warnings to these outlets. Well, uh, on Friday, in what everyone is describing as the most bizarre segment any of them have ever seen on TV, much less uh, on the Lou Dobbs show, uh, he debunked, sort of, his own information that he's been peddling about Smartmatic somehow stealing the election. So to do that, on his own show, they turned to Eddie Perez of the Open Source Election Technology Foundation, who Eddie has been on this show uh, on the broadcast a number of times um, to try to offer, I guess, what is some somehow sort of a a retraction. Ben Smith noted at The New York Times that uh, they broadcast one of the strangest three minute segments he had ever seen on television with a disembodied and anonymous voice flatly asking a series of factual questions about Smartmatic. To expert Eddie Perez, who debunks a series of these false claims. This is what it sounded like on Lou Dobbs. There are lots of opinions about the integrity of the election, the irregularities of mail-in voting, of election voting machines, and voting software. One of the companies is Smartmatic, and we reached out to one of the leading authorities on open source software for elections, Eddie Perez, for his insight and views. Eddie is the global director of tech development at the Open Source Election Technology Institute. We ask him for his assessment of Smartmatic and recent claims about the company. Have you seen any evidence that Smartmatic software was used to flip votes anywhere in the U.S. in this election? I have not seen any evidence that Smartmatic software was used to uh, delete, change, alter anything related to vote tabulation. Smartmatic says its software was never used outside of L.A. County in 2020. Do you know whether or not that's true? That is my understanding. Uh, Smartmatic uh, functioned as the contract manufacturer for the Los Angeles County voting system, and that was a customized system that was effectively built to the county's order. I am not aware of them having any other 
direct customers, relationships with election officials in the United States. What about Smartmatic and Dominion? Do you know if they're related, whether one owns the other, whether Dominion uses Smartmatic software? Both Dominion and Smartmatic have individually and respectively put out uh, very clear statements from their corporate headquarters, each of them indicating they are independent companies, they are not related to each other. It is my understanding that neither one of them has an ownership stake in the other or anything like that. They are, again, for all intents and purposes, two completely separate companies. Have you seen any evidence of a connection between George Soros and Smartmatic? I'm not aware of any direct connection between George Soros and Smartmatic. It is my understanding that an executive at Smartmatic has some sort of relationship with one of Soros's foundations. That's the extent of my knowledge. Have you seen any evidence of Smartmatic sending U.S. votes to be tabulated in foreign countries? No, I'm not aware of any evidence that Smartmatic is sending U.S. votes to be tabulated in foreign countries. Again, I'm not aware uh, outside of Los Angeles County of Smartmatic tabulating any votes in the United States because I'm not aware of them having any customer relationships in the U.S. And secondly, as others have pointed out, uh, irrespective of which voting technology vendor we're talking about, in the United States, the ballots that are cast in the United States are tabulated in the United States. Are you aware of any instances in which Smartmatic's technology was banned in the U.S. in 2020 due to security weaknesses or wrongdoing? I am not. I'm not aware of any instances where Smartmatic's technology was banned in the U.S. Again, it is my understanding that outside of one customer in Los Angeles County, Smartmatic has no presence in the voting technology marketplace in the United States. And that was it. And then they went straight to a commercial. Incredible. They also ran that exact se uh, segment on the Janine Pyro show, Pyro, and the Maria Bartiromo show. And in both cases, the hosts made similar intros. Some major CYA going on there. Big time. Fox News is running scared. And I don't blame them. Uh, we will continue to cover that story as the days move ahead here. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. To my board operator, Federico Garcia, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Oh, my! also my thanks to David Dayan of The American Prospect. You can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am The Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.